0: RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com/slash mission log.
1: This episode is also brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com. Slash mission log.
2: Mission log. A Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 274. Q Less.
1: Welcome into Mission Log, a
0: Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, diving deep for messages, morals, and meanings, and then selling them to the highest bidder. This week, Q-less. The one with the return of Vosh.
1: And Q. It's a weird title because there's actually more Q... ...in this episode than there's been in any episode of Deep Space Nine before.
0: Well, it it, it probably has to do with Vash wanting to ditch Q, to to live without Q, to be be Q-less, if you will. So Vash
1: is naming the episodes of Deep Space Nine. Mm
0: -hmm. I guess so. I know, sir, that you've got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first, a word from Eagle Moss in the official Star Trek Starships collection. We love those tiny starships because uh, if you've got flat surfaces, then you've got places to put starships. These are the tiny ones that are perfect for building your own fleet. Really, just put them on whatever flat surface you have handy. They are officially authorized by CBS Studios. The official Star Trek Starships collection is available only from Eagle Boss Collections. This is the ultimate collection. Beep, boop. of vessels from across the star trek universe from the original series to deep space nine all the way to star trek beyond and beyond that was like a little jazz version
1: of the ultimate collection
0: (laughs) yeah like a a fusion experimental thing Mm -hmm.
1: yeah a little something like that it's jazzy each model is made of die-cast metal and high-quality ABS materials, then hand-painted with reference to the actual CG models used in production and, where they exist, photos of the original studio models. Each ship also comes with a display base, plus a collector's magazine, featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of technology on board.
0: So you can subscribe to the collection today to receive your first ship, the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D, for only $4.95 with free shipping. Additional models, and there's already over a hundred of them, will then ship twice monthly and are delivered directly to your door.
1: As a subscriber, you're also entitled to free gifts worth over $90, and you may cancel your subscription at any time. Full details can be found at st-starships.com slash mission log. Now, if you'd rather purchase your favorite ship individually, maybe you want to go for the Bajoran Solar Sailor, the Cardassian Galore class, or Deep Space Nine itself, you can do all of that for just a few dollars more, either online at shop.eaglemoss.com or at your local comic book shop.
0: But again, to subscribe... Point your browser to st-starships.com slash mission log. That's st-starships.com slash mission log. And a big thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show.
1: John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, We would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we turn it over to the Trivia King, ladies and gentlemen,
0: mr john champion all right today's episode q less was written by hannah louise shearer now that's a name that should sound familiar she contributed to a handful of stories on next gen just to name a few we'll always have paris pen pals and one episode that had a wormhole at the center of its plot the price now, this is hannah's only contribution to deep space nine The teleplay is by Robert Hewitt Wolf, and we've mentioned Robert once before. He was a young, struggling writer who was knocking around L.A. trying to get a gig. He was five years out of UCLA's writing program, and he finally sold a story to NextGen. That was a fistful of datas. Now, that was his only gig on TNG, but he was in the right place at the right time because DS9 was in development and the producers asked him to come over to the new show as a staff writer. So he sticks around for a few years and we will see a lot of scripts by Robert as we go along, many of those co-developed and co-written with Iris Stephen Bear. Today's episode is directed by Paul Lynch. Well, yeah, Paul Lynch definitely getting a lot of early work on Deep Space Nine. We just talked about A Man Alone and Babel, both of which he directed. And we will see him for two more episodes. Hey, we get a lot of references here to the Daystrom Institute. Of course, they reference it in TNG. And, of course, it goes way back to, uh, oh, a guy called Richard Daystrom back in TOS. I believe the name of the episode featuring him was... uh, Oh, let's see. I want to say it was the ultimate computer. The ultimate computer. And another reference making a return here. That crystal prop, the the egg that holds the alien embryo in this episode. We have seen that prop before. That was the meditation crystal from Angel One on Next Gen. So it's, uh, it's making the rounds all the way from the Alpha to the Gamma Quadrant and back again. So there's that line in here that Quark has bid high and bid often, kind of a a throwback, a little play on vote early and vote often. And, you know, that is usually attributed to Richard J. Daley, famous Chicago mayor. But here's the thing. That's not really accurate. Uh that that line, vote early, vote often, was actually referenced starting way back in the 19th century. And it reemerged. And, it, and it's usually not something that a politician like, say, Richard J. Daly would actually say, but it's something that is used as as commentary on the opposing political party. So I uh, just wanted to clear that up a bit, but it is kind of a, a commonly used phrase when you're trying to point out uh, voter fraud, voter corruption. So, um, yeah, not specifically related to Richard J. Daly. Now, let's talk about our spotlight on the main DS9 cast this week. Let's talk about Alexander Siddig, who plays Dr. Julian Bashir. Now, sometimes he's credited as Sidig el-Fadil, and that is taken from his much longer given name. Uh, He was born in Sudan and raised in England. Big shock here. His formal training and most of his early work is in theater. I know. Shocking. Shocking compared to the rest of the cast of DS9. Now, he might be best known for DS9, but he has had many, many on-screen credits. Uh, Reign of Fire, 24 Da Vinci's Demons, Game of Thrones, Peaky Blinders. He's great in the movie Syriana. Um, his one marriage was to Nana Visitor. They had one child together named Django El-Sidig. And he does say that the use of his name Alexander was picked out of a hat, as it was just easier to remember when dealing with casting directors. So no special meaning there. Now interestingly, on his father's side, his uncle was the Sudanese prime minister, and on his mother 's side, his uncle is Malcolm McDowell hmm. yeah, right another uh uh trek relation there, but uh, certainly Malcolm McDowell with a a huge <laughs> and and uh, amazing career before and after trek two. So let's talk about guest stars. Well, this week, the two guest stars in the spotlight, we welcome back our Jennifer Hetrick as Vash and John DeLancey as Q. And this is a fun little bit of trivia from one of our listeners, Kalia. She wanted to point out that John DeLancey does the voice of Discord in My Little Pony. And who is Discord? Well, he is the spirit of chaos and disharmony. So nice little bit of casting there. And Kaylea even says that uh, her daughter uh, doesn't actually distinguish between the two, that it just seems like, well, uh, Discord and Q are the same thing, (laughs) same guy. (laughs) And one other guest star to point out, this one new, Van Epperson is the Bajoran who is managing the storage lockers on DS9. Now, we would have seen him in Next Gen on Time's Arrow, but his role was cut. So he makes his Trek debut here, and he'll be back for a guest spot on Enterprise. And he's one of those constantly working character actors. Uh, He was on Parks and Rec, How I Met Your Mother, Boston Legal. He was in the movie The Green Mile. And he was in a little show called Night Stalker. Yeah, you know the one. That was the reboot of Kolchak, the Night Stalker.
2: The set is lit. The cast is set. Cameras are rolling. It is time to begin. Quvach. Also, QQ.
0: Prolog. One thing about that dreamy Dr. Bashir, he's got game. At least he thinks so and so does the Bajoran woman he's wooing in the Replimat. It's cut short though and Sisko calls him and O'Brien to help with a serious problem. The runabout Ganges is back from the Gamma quadrant with Dax and Polly, who you won't meet and will never see again, but all power has been drained. They can't even get the airlock open and they're about to run out of oxygen. Some quick teching opens the door to reveal Dax, she's okay. Polly, he's a a, a person and one unexpected visitor. Vash. You know, Vash From that one time? Okay, two times? Hanging out with Picard? And what was she doing in the Gamma Quadrant? How did she get to the Gamma Quadrant? She just says a friend dropped her there. And who's that with his back turn messing with the shuttle? It's Q. Act 1. Dr. Bashir checks out Vash, in the literal and figurative sense. By his assessment, she's perfectly fine in the literal and figurative sense. Vash is not very forthcoming about who she is or how she got there, other than that she's an archaeologist, so Dax will do a little digging. Archaeology humor. <clears throat> she's taking some time to secure her hall of artifacts, priceless items from the Gamma Quadrant, ancient statues, ritual objects, a ceremonial dagger... They'll sit in a locker until morning when Vosh can catch a transport off DS9. Sisko offers to help. In fact, he says that people from the Daystrom Institute are very interested in her story. He can get her back to Earth. Still, sure would be sure nice to know how she got to the Gamma Quadrant. Eh, She's not going to tell. O'Brien has been working on the Ganges only to discover that technically there's nothing wrong with the runabout. Everything is working fine, it's just that all the energy has been drained somehow. Makes no sense. He'll keep working on it, in the meantime, he explains to Cisco that Vash and Picard were friends. Close friends. Nuff said. Then the lights in DS9 dim a bit, and it seems there's been a system-wide power drain. Nobody knows why, but Dax asks O'Brien if he's picking up any Graviton flux. Yep, he sure is. And that's too bad because it's exactly what happened to the Ganges right before it lost all power. Act 2. Chief O'Brien shows her quarters, and once she's in there, she's visited by her old friend Q. He showed her the wonders of the Gamma Quadrant for two years, and apparently he's got a thing for her. But she's not interested. She left him, he left her, whatever it is, she wants him out of her life. But you know, Q, he's nothing if not a persistent bother. He wants to gallop around the universe with her, and Vash just wants her old life back. They're interrupted by Quark, who has gotten word about the artifacts she's brought on board. They would turn a tidy profit, you know. He'll cut her in for part of the deal, and she manages to drive down his percentage by some well-placed umoks. She drives a hard bargain, but Quark seemed to enjoy the negotiation. Q shows up again, vying for her attentions, and Bashir does too, same. Vash agrees to meet him for dinner, and gives one last push to Q to leave her alone. At what should be dinner, Bashir is visited by Q, posing as a waiter, admonishing the doctor to stay away from her. He's using a bit of Q power, too, making the doctor too sleepy to stick around for his date. He leaves, but O'Brien catches a glimpse of the familiar-looking Q. Immediately, O'Brien reports to Cisco, who he has seen, and that this might be a problem. A big problem. If that's not problem enough, the station's power drops 80% overall after another graviton flux. O'Brien suspects that it must be Q, since every system is fine. In the bar, Vasha is pricing out artifacts of Quark, He's trying to lowball everything. She's trying to make a few extra bars of gold pressed latinum. They're interrupted by Cisco, who wants Vosh to tell him everything she knows about Q. She doesn't have to answer. Right there, answering for himself, is Q. Act 3. Cisco meets Q, Q meets Cisco, and this ain't your old school French starship captain with an English accent as it becomes painfully obvious. Oh sure, there's the old taunting and manipulation, but when Q puts himself in Cisco at an old timey boxing match, Cisco takes a few punches before decking Q. It's not what his omnipotence expected. The power is still draining and surging, a, a massive graviton pulse whenever it happens. It's getting worse though, like causing a hull breach. And if it were to happen near, say the reactor core, it could wipe out half the station. Quirk is getting his invited guests assembled for the auction of Vasha's Gamma Quadrant artifacts, while Odo questions the whole pursuit of material goods. Speaking of pursuit, Q is still hot on Vasha's trail, begging her to stay with him. Well, not so much begging as literally twisting her into a diseased version of herself, saying that only he can show her a better life. Act 4. A station collapses imminent at about 14 hours unless they can do some major teching the tech. They'll use a risky, highly toxic tritium gas to try to source the power flow. Q shows up to taunt the plan and the commander, and he even says he's got nothing to do with it. But, you know, they should be keeping an eye on Vash, who is up to something with that auction. She and Quark are greeting the bidders, and Quark is trying to tempt her with the prospect of doing more deals. Fush isn't interested, though. She's looking forward to a quiet life back on Earth. Just about then, the station rocks again, another graviton flux, the tritium gas hasn't spread enough to pinpoint a source, and the whole thing starts moving toward the wormhole. Act 5, space station on the move, but nobody in the auction room cares. Vash starts off with a detailed description of the artifacts, which Quark interrupts. His approach is a little more direct. It's rare, it's beautiful, and it's from the Gamma Quadrant. Boom. The bidders start to raise their hands. Back in ops, tritium gas is spread throughout the station, enough to at least start moving toward the graviton flux. They can't tell exactly where it's coming from, though. Cut to the auction. Cork is doing his thing. The gold press, latinum bars are stacking up. Q is there. He interrupts to let everyone know that they're about to die, but, meh, so what? Carry on with the auction. Vash confronts him, and he says he would save her if she wants. No thanks. The command crew is now faced with a risky decision. They can power up the station, which will certainly drag them faster toward the wormhole— But at the same time, it might help them pinpoint the source of the gravitons. And about this time, Quark is ready to auction off that really impressive crystal object from the Gamma Quadrant. The bidding is going fast and furious. Are you beginning to put two and two together now? Those gravitons, they are a fluxing. And that tritium is tritiuming something furious. That leads Cisco, Kira, and Dax right into the auction room to discover that the source of the flux is the crystal itself. Thinking fast, Cisco has it beamed away from the station, where it transforms into a glowing creature. It's alive, and that crystal egg just hatched a space manta ray or something. It flies off, safe from the auction block, and the station returns to normal operation. Vash is ready to leave, off to the Dastrum Institute. Quark makes one last bid to see her stick around. Maybe some cool ruins to explore? Nope. She's decided. Earth it is. Q even pops up again, trying to talk her out of it. She wants her life back, and he wants her sense of wonder. He'll miss it. But he does, indeed, step away this time in a flash of light. With him gone... Vash wants to know what Quark knows about this site on Tatarus 5. A sleepy Bashir wanders into Quark's, he's been asleep the whole time, and Dax just laughs it off. The end. And they say Deep Space Nine never goes anywhere. It literally slides around (laughs) in this episode.
1: It goes all over the place. Well, it goes between where it normally is and the wormhole and back, but still... They mm-hmm. say DS9 never goes anywhere. That's just silly. I got a question.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Q was striking Cisco, right? It looked like it, but it looked like they were kind of light taps. It didn't look like a full-on... It was yeah. also
1: making the punch noise as well, though. I mean, unless mm-hmm. unless Q mm-hmm. comes with his own foley, which is possible. <laughs> it, is. it is. Because, I mean, he is omnipotent, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems really surprised when Cisco hits him after he's been hitting cisco like i want to say he hit cisco like three or four times before cisco was finally like all right that's enough
2: Mm
0: yeah 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 no i i I thought that too and it's like yeah oh you hit me (laughs) well yes because you were hitting me right (laughs)
1: Right. picard never hit me and it's like I i don't remember him ever hitting picard yeah right did he ever punch picard in the face i don't think so had he even tried, I think Picard probably would have punched him in the face. Not to compare Cisco to Picard. <laughs> even though Q yeah. says, You hit me.
0: Mm-hmm. Picard never hit me. Yeah. Hey, uh there's a detail in the replimat set that I really like. uh That the hanging plants and the flowers on the tables is much more futuristic and kind of homey looking, like like something I would see at Epcot, mm. as opposed to just that weird pyramid <laughs> game sitting on the table at Ten Forward. Yeah, you know, they had that same game there for like seven years. I like, wow, I've I've played that game. Uh, can we can we play a different game here? But it's an interesting <laughs> look in that set. uh There's a lot of detail in that set, and it's just nice to see. Yeah, you. You'd expect to, to bring in plants, maybe even some of the plants that Keiko has collected on the other side of the wormhole when she's not teaching. Who knows? You know,
1: I got to say uh, it makes sense that there would be plants here and not games and games um, in uh, in uh, 10 Ford and not plants
0: mm, because mm-hmm. they've
1: got an arboretum
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the enterprise. Yep. And they've got a casino on Deep Space Nine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. True, true. Although you'd think that, you know, when the Enterprise is pulling away, they're like, "Uh, see you guys. And here we got you this. We got you this pyramid game because we've had it for like (laughs) years. So you guys. And Quark would just
1: collect them all because you know what? He wants people
0: playing dabo yeah, exactly or you charge people to come play the pyramid game they'd be like you just got that for free off the enterprise it's like, you know there was a pile of
1: these sitting outside the yeah. airlock earlier today right. and now it's five dollars to play
0: uh, uh-huh. here speaking of airlock all right uh, another week and more people stuck in a ship behind an airlock mm-hmm. seriously they do know they have a transporter right
1: yeah, kinda weird. I was actually trying to remember whether they did have a transporter, but I remember uh Quark actually ran the transporter for Odo in Babel.
0: So Yeah. Yeah. It's so right there in I, Ops. I nearly and, forgot they yeah. had
1: one, so I mean you can't blame them.
0: <laughs> well it's it is how they saved Tanalos from his uh his ship being hit by the Cardassians. It was right there. They beam him into the into the op station.
1: Yeah. And it's how they sent Odo down there to get that guy off his ship before it exploded.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a moment early on, uh, Bashir tells Vash that they have no idea what's beyond the wormhole. Like, dude, you, you literally live next to the wormhole, <laughs> where supposedly ships visit all the time. Or, or at the very least, don't you read the newsletter? I'm sure there's a newsletter on DS9.
1: Okay, in fairness, though, they've only known that there was a wormhole for like six weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And she was in the Gamma Quadrant for two years.
0: Yep, very so he true. May,
1: he may but, be speaking relatively. Like we, don't, maybe. We, we got no idea. We just keep getting like to the entrance because what I kept wondering about was okay. I don't know what uh, what PD. I'm sorry, Polly is PD mm-hmm. and Polly. I get confused myself. Yeah. I don't know what Polly and uh, and uh, Dax were doing on the other side of the wormhole. But my assumption is they did not go far, mm-hmm. and yet they bumped into Vosh, who didn't know there was a wormhole, except if she's been near there. And there are all of the ships going through, like everybody says. I'm just saying maybe the other end of the wormhole is not as stationary as we've been led to believe.
0: Uh may, maybe not, but but even then you can be like uh oh you're you're new through the wormhole well uh, uh and we don't know anything about it except that uh, they're the the gods the Bajorans worship uh they're in there, and, there. Right. and
1: um here it's all it's all in this pamphlet, so you just came through the wormhole
0: yeah. <laughs> right right there there's a there's a race of beings that uh, were genetically bred to be hunted, that's weird, right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> maybe you met them <laughs> yeah they are TOSK. they all go by TOSK. pretty much yeah. what you'll
1: get out of them yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah oh man and uh we learned about some cardassian technology you know what they say about the uh, the mk-12 it is five better than the mk-7
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. that's true that's yeah probably correct
0: um o'brien's comments about the bedding are the exact opposite of kira's when she was showing Tanelos his room. Still, I I think with all those uh, scales and ridges on Cardassians, they would need some kind of decent bedding. I I don't think it's as bad as uh, they're making it out to be. Um, Then when Vash goes into her room, uh, they cut to O'Brien, they cut to her going in, they cut back to O'Brien, and he kind of gives this look of dissatisfaction with her after she mentions looking up Jean-Luc mm-hmm. and I just thought why like dude why do you care and if you do care why aren't you just amused
1: because he knows as I do that Nella Darren is the woman for Picard
0: oh really okay That's we're, just, we're back to absolutely that okay. total, are you
1: uh-huh. kidding me can you watch <laughs> this episode and still think oh yeah but if she and Picard had just been able to work it out uh. because no absolutely not i i i applaud o'brien in this case especially because he didn't say anything i mean he waited until nobody was looking except mm-hmm. for the camera to just go mm. yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that that was that was a weird one um by the way so it was a funny bit when uh q kept putting her bag back on her shoulder like this <laughs> you know it was it was annoying but it was a good bit of all the bits you're gonna do you, you do that but i just thought you know here she is walking around the station carrying this giant bag even after she got rid of the artifacts and i thought guys this is it the first thing i would do if i had a transporter is i would just have it move my bags everywhere i go yeah that's kind
1: of weird they didn't just like have it beam to her place except she may not trust that because you know she's a bit of a she's a bit of a scoundrel yeah so she may have stuff in her bag she doesn't want anybody to find or anybody to know about like like That's when she true. went to the SA office or a office or a sayer's office or whatever it is when she went to the locker room you right. know i mean right. there's no way she would have handed that bag off before that
0: now she does though when she gets into the room she takes her clothes out and then she puts them into uh ah, space drawers <laughs> this, this for me this is the first instance of space drawers on Star Trek, and you know how you can tell those are space drawers and not regular drawers. we've seen regular drawers up until now yeah they're 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 push button right These space drawers that make the little noise yeah that's just great <laughs> that's that's absolutely great um I want like
1: like cabinets like that for like my glasses and dishes and stuff, you know hmm
0: yeah just, yeah like, oh push a button you just push a button and like it raises up like a delorean door
1: yeah, yeah. and it, it only takes like twice as long as opening a cabinet
0: <laughs> that would be rad
1: but it would have the sound it would be really yeah. cool and you would know at that point that you live in the future
0: i uh i would love to see that um funny line q says but i do know everything which is yeah okay so he's omnipotent however he doesn't know o'brien oh sure he does well, it takes him time because he, he, he O'Brien walks right past him.
1: It takes him no
0: time. Hmm. He doesn't even know that he's on the station. He's taking he walks the Mickey. By him he's like totally a bunch taking of times. the Mickey.
1: He like because then when O'Brien starts talking to him as if he was anybody who had ever talked to Q before, Q's like, mm. "I'm sorry, do I know you?" Yeah, I'm O'Brien from the Enterprise. Weren't you one of the little people? Come on, <laughs> that's.
0: I mean, that's that's awesome. I know mm. I, I, it, it was a great line. Yeah, was a great line.
1: I, yeah. I, I firmly believe he knew about O'Brien the whole time, knew exactly who he was the whole time. The one that I fault, honestly, is O'Brien, because, OK, so Vosh has been there twice. She's upset things both times, or maybe she was only on the Enterprise once, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Picard met her on Risa, and then she came to the Enterprise and she left with Q. Yes. But O'Brien waits until he sees Q to say, by the way. Something about her in Q. He actually waits until he sees him. I would think that would be like the very first thing you would say. Well, maybe the second. The first thing is, hey, I know her. Hey, I know how she got to the gamma quadrant. Yeah. I mean, thinking out loud here, how else would she have gotten to the gamma quadrant? Yeah, Uh, maybe another wormhole. I don't know. It's possible.
0: Uh, nice little bits of internal references here and not just things like calling out the Daystrom Institute, but, um, I, I like the Q points out their new uniforms, <laughs> you know, that that's a fun bit. So they have a different tailor than they do on the enterprise. Um, and, and actually call out techno babble. They actually say it as a thing in universe <laughs> in Star Trek, which <laughs> is really fun. Um, so n- nice to be able to have a character like Q to be able to do that. Um, also, I have to say that I really respect Quark's showmanship at the auction. I think it, it, it shows him understanding his audience, which I, I think was a, a fun bit for sure. And um, and finally, I'll also say there was this bit that was a little disconcerting, but but interesting. Um, Q saying that sure, Earth was fun about a thousand years ago when when you had things happening like the Crusades and the Spanish Inquisition. And Watergate, yeah, <laughs> and, you know. used
1: to have character. He says, used to have character.
0: Yeah, yeah. So a little, a little disturbing that he, he find those he finds those things. The character of Earth, uh, but then he says, now it's just mind-numbingly dull. And I wonder if Q is having that same problem with the twenty-fourth century. They don't know a party.
2: know, with her propensity for trouble, her passing acquaintance with morality, and her willingness to travel. Vosh could write for The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
1: We will get to the meaty middle of this episode in just a moment, but first, a word about some meats and vegetables from our good friends at
0: Blue Apron. So you've heard us talk about Blue Apron before. It's the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. And their whole mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. And how they do it is by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting up the highest standards for ingredients and building a community of home chefs. Now, something we've never
1: hit before, John, is the different plans that they have available. Generally speaking, I think we we tend to think of the two person meal plan because you know we're 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 two person meal plan kind of people, mm-hmm. you and me, <laughs> me and you. Yeah. Uh, but there are other plans available. There's a family meal plan, which is great for people who have uh, what sort of I'm looking for families. <laughs> but then they also have the wine plan, where you can get like six bottles of wine from renowned winemakers uh, delivered
0: to you monthly as well. So there are there are many plans from which to choose. And here's what's going on right now. For six weeks, from April 16th through May 21st, Blue Apron is teaming up with Airbnb to bring you the best home cooking from around the world. Each week, the menu will feature a recipe developed in collaboration with an Airbnb Experiences host like Cece, a chef from Shanghai who makes incredible Kung pao chicken. You know what I'm talking about—that much beloved, sticky, saucy mix. You're saucy of crispy brown chicken and vegetables. No,
1: you're saucy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you were saying that to me. No, nope, you okay. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so that's a thing which we may hit in a minute because while you did read the words uh, kung pao chicken, I don't think we got the John Champion, you know, seal of approval, which of course comes with like a like an elongated M sound. Here's some of what people are going to be cooking, like, you know, coming up. Uh, There's steak frites with roasted broccoli and lemon aioli. Mm. There's roast pork and salsa verde with sautéed vegetables.
2: Mm.
1: And the one we've all been waiting for, the Kung Pao chicken with stir-fried snow peas and sweet peppers. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be cooking those things, but here's the thing. When you start with Blue Apron, you're not going to be cooking those things again anytime soon. I mean, you can if you want to. But so much of what Blue Apron is about is variety. So they're going to send you these recipes. They're going to send you the ingredients for the recipes. They're not going to send you that recipe again for like a full year because they want to make sure that while you're eating right, while you're eating good, while you're cooking these things, you're not getting bored with the food they're bringing.
0: And that's exactly what I love, Ken, is that I, I love cooking with things that I don't normally cook. So uh, I'll, I'll order something that is uh, maybe familiar and comfort food. And then I've been ordering uh, some of their vegetarian dishes. Uh, I made this amazing chickpea curry. I tell you, it was so good. I, I had it one night and then I had it the next morning for breakfast. <laughs> it was that good. So um, it, it's nice to be able to uh, stretch my comfort zone a little bit and uh, and try the incredible variety that blew. Apron has, so here's what you need to do: check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping at BlueApron.com/slash-missionlog. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait, get started today at BlueApron.com/slash-missionlog. Blue Apron, a better way to cook,
1: and the huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring. This week's show.
0: Well, sir, she and Captain Picard were friends. Close friends, if you follow my meaning. Oh, man. <laughs> so it, here's the thing, Ken. I, I'm sure that at some point in my life, I may have had a conversation like that with a friend. Mm-hmm. Or like are you trying to describe like, oh yeah, you know so and so they're uh friends, you know, very close friends, and I know that this is a huge shortcut for the audience, but wow i 've never had that kind of conversation with my boss about my former boss,
1: oh, you should try it sometime
0: no <laughs> no <Nope. laughs> not, yeah,' not going to do that
1: no. yeah, it was really weird, although honestly what 's weirder than that conversation to me is uh, Cisco saying. She doesn't seem like Picard's type. Hmm. I'm sorry, based on what? Based on the five minutes that you spent with him in the first episode of uh, Deep Space Nine, or based on the five minutes that you watched him on screen as Locutus?
0: Yeah, right, because it's really hard to, to gauge somebody's romantic interests when they've been absorbed by the Borg. Unless
1: yeah. Cisco, like me, knows that Nella Darren is the woman for Picard. See, really? That's possible. <laughs> it's possible. Here's the other thing. So, like, speaking of, and and and, I'm not, I'm not, you know, sort of cutting off your whole talk about about um, that discussion. There's a mm. lot actually dealing with sexuality in this episode, which is kind of weird. Uh, first of all, uh, Julian is an actual ladies' man. Who mm. knew? Because all we've really seen is him being sort of derpy around Dax, right? Yeah. The very beginning of this episode, that young Bajoran woman that he's talking to is completely taken by his Starfleet medical final story. Yeah, right. But then, okay, so maybe she's just weird. But then, when Q does the thing with the yawning and sending you know Bashir off to bed for like a day and a half, two days, however long, um, Bashir says, "Maybe I'll go lay down." And Q says, "Hopefully, by yourself for a change."
0: Well, well, and and remember Bashir had already said, like, yeah, that story works works all the every time. time. Right. Yeah.
1: And we've established in this episode that Q knows everything. So Julian is not just chasing every woman he meets. He is apparently winning over some of the women that he meets,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which mm-hmm. is amazing because <laughs> he's just been <laughs> I mean, it, it, it has looked all this time like he's just like a lovesick idiot, like like yeah. like a 13 like a year old boy with a crush on a senior girl.
0: Right. Uh, maybe, maybe just around Dax, you know, maybe, maybe there's something special about Dax. Well, no,
1: because then watch the way he was with Vosh as well. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe that's yeah, weird yeah. acting. Maybe it's weird directing. I don't know. I was just surprised to find that he is actually a ladies man in this mm-hmm. episode. Now, mm-hmm. real questions around sexuality in this episode, not just the Finding Games stuff with Julian. Um, in fact, something sort of serious with Julian. Should he be hitting on a patient? Hmm. I know yeah. there are only 300 people on deep space nine. I know she's going to be gone next week. I know it turns out there wasn't even anything wrong with her. Maybe she doesn't actually count as a patient, except I have a feeling that a board of medical ethics would say yeah, she kind of counts as a patient. That's <laughs> just a guess because everything I know about medicine comes from uh, nighttime soaps or daytime soaps. So I don't know whether yeah. that actually violates any, any sort of medical ethics thing, but Unless television has lied to me all this time, uh, really, should he be hitting on somebody who is actually under his care?
0: You know, th- there's so much happening in this episode that that is actually one that passed me by. Really? Because it just, yeah, because honestly, it just seemed like, okay, here's another thing with Dr. Bashir. And I didn't even think about the, the doctor-patient relationship at that point. Because there's just so much going on here with so much chasing and being chased and <sighs> yes. rejection and being rich. Re- it's like, Wow. Like, where do I even... Uh, it doesn't seem
1: like many people are being chased, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean, here's the thing. I, I get why you would completely miss it, because in that conversation, Vosh is obviously in control, right? Mm-hmm. There is no part of this where, where Julian is the authority, except yeah, that he can yeah. tell her that she has no diseases. That's it. But even then, she's like, ah, good, so... I'm cool and you're not <laughs> It sort of seems to be the feel, uh, except for the part where it seems like he might be doing something that he might shouldn't do. Speaking of things that maybe people shouldn't be doing, but they're doing anyway. Uh, should Vosh really just be giving umox out like candy?
0: I uh, see. Yeah, I, I now I definitely had that as a note. Okay. Uh, b- because it, it, it's played for a laugh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're they're both swindlers trying to swindle each other. Yes. But it's using sex to get something, and it would be really creepy if it were turned the other way.
1: It would be very creepy. Yes. It, yes. Yeah. I, yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, because that part didn't even occur to me. Honestly, the parts I kept thinking about were things that I was like, I can't possibly say that. I can't possibly mm-hmm. say that on our podcast because, well... I still can't say it shouldn't (laughs) shouldn't Ferengi maybe wear earmuffs I'm sorry if that's the kind of reaction that's going to get shouldn't Ferengi maybe wear earmuffs and I'm not because I'm thinking about I was trying to think of the human equivalent of that right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and then I thought the only the only way that even works is if I'm not wearing pants or you know whatever (laughs) or if if somebody's not wearing pants even then though I would think if we have evolved to such a place where I can walk around comfortably without wearing pants and nobody's going to bat an eye, (laughs) maybe she shouldn't be, you know, uh, taking advantage of that fact.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that, hmm, yeah, it it left me with with a weird feeling about that scene. But but here's the thing. Take it even a step further, Mm -hmm. and then you've got Q trying to seduce and keep Vash. And I just don't get it um and then the manipulating her with disease um saying i leave you now to reconsider my offer of friendship that's not an offer of friendship that that is abuse to manipulate her um and it's really twisted um in fact he he does yet he offers to save her as the station is being pulled to its doom. And I thought between that and the disease thing, th- this is kind of a slight parallel to offering, uh, Riker Q powers or giving Jordy his sight. You know, she's in that position of thinking, okay, well, even if I accept that gift, what do I owe him for the favor? That would just be too much to deal with. It'd be too much to, uh, to bear. But it is mighty manipulative and up until this point, we've seen Q do some pretty shady things. Mm-hmm. This just seemed off the charts. And, and and it's not the same sort of intellectual repartee that he'd had with uh, with Picard. Like, I'm going to push you, and I'm going to expose you to things you had no idea about, and then I'm going to see how you react. This it, it takes on a weird, personal, abusive side that is just odd to me.
1: Yeah, Q is no kind of moral compass in this episode. I mean, it's not... He's like the 13-year-old in this episode. He's like Trelane in this episode. We haven't talked about yes, the similarity yes, between Q and yeah. Trelane in a very long time, but he is very much... He is a spurned teenage boyfriend in this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, with omnipotent powers. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and right. knowing everything or or, um, or whatever with with ultimate powers and omnipotence, he's I mean he's a he's a bad guy in this episode, and yet he also gets uh, he gets a little muddy, and I I mean that like Harry mud in this episode. You remember mm-hmm. in Mud's women, Mud's pretty much a, a, a human trafficker, kind mm-hmm. of, and he's like he's also pulling things over on people to make that happen. And then all of a sudden Q, just like Mudd at the end of that episode, was like, oh, yes, but the real lesson is this, right? And we were both like, when did that happen? Because Acts 1 through 3, he's terrible. and Act 4, he's like imparting the wisdom along with Kirk. Um, And Q does the same thing here. Uh, we had heard yeah. Vosh say in the beginning of the episode, "When it comes to choosing between science and profit, I'll choose profit every time." So we mm-hmm. know like what kind of person she is, and we also know why she is not the woman for Picard. But further on, <laughs> uh, Q says, "While you're up here, she's down below engaging in base commerce and setting Federation ethics back two hundred years. Believe me, gang, she's far more dangerous to you than I." He's like, I mean, he's he he now is pointing in the direction of where the actual danger is. And he is also imparting a bit of the morality in this, which is weird because, yes, he has been, well, I mean, he's been annoying is the nicest thing you can say about him in this episode. And then you're right. He's actually, he's downright abusive uh, when it comes yeah. to that exchange with uh with Vosh?
0: Yeah. I, well, and, and here's the thing, it, the the line about setting federation ethics back 200 years, I, that line kind of stuck out to me because it, it, it seemed like it was a line that was going to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it was way more concerned with the interpersonal relationship. And I thought, honestly, look, separate that out from everything else. It's Vosh and Quark with stuff that they're trying to sell. We're, we're not on a federation starship we're we're not yes the the station is managed in part by Starfleet that's why you have Cisco there mm-hmm. um But taken out of that context, this really is of no concern to anybody. If they're getting one over on this uh, assembled group that I love how how Quark says basically they have uh, deep pockets and they're not that smart. Yes. You know, it's really of no concern to anyone. And it's not like Vash is a representative of the Federation. Therefore, to me, she's not setting Federation ethics back two hundred years. Who who cares? I'm much more concerned about everything else that's going on here.
1: Well, you see, now you're actually coming into a problem with the episode. I think the part that Mm -hmm. was setting Federation uh, ethics back two hundred years wasn't selling the old statues or anything like that. It was selling a living thing. Sure, but they hadn't indicated that it was a living thing, and nobody knew. Like, I don't think Vash knew that it was a living thing. I think she found something shiny. And she figured that'll fetch a lot. And so she took
0: it to sell. Somebody should have said it's a living thing. It's a terrible thing to (laughs) lose.
1: You went there.
0: I did. You had to go there.
1: Here's the thing, though. Nobody knew that it wasn't, in fact, a living thing. And so while he's saying that, he's sort of, as I say, pointing them towards the morality, pointing them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But it's lost in the fact that we had no idea that that's what was going on until the very end of the episode. But. We can come back to that at the very end of this
0: episode. We most certainly will, because that's a big note of mine. Okay, yeah, mine too, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Is it Q's responsibility to save everybody? And I don't mean Deep Space Nine. I mean, with his godlike ability to, you know, keep warp cores from breaching and space stations from breaking up. Does he have a responsibility to keep these things from happening?
2: Hmm.
0: Well, he doesn't. Really seem. Hmm. I know so, he
1: doesn't uh, think he has a responsibility to. I'm asking if he does.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, by our standards, yes. You know, we we've talked about this before, uh, like in Homeward, mm-hmm. when we watched Captain Picard say, "Well, this planet's going to blow itself up, and let's hang back and watch." And I know that there are people down there, but the Prime Directive says we can't interfere. And you and I came away from that episode saying. Look, the prime directive will only get you so far because there is such a thing as compassion, there is such a thing as a moral answer mm-hmm. that that might be more challenging and you've got to think your way a new solution to the answer to that challenge. Um so I yeah, I even though Q doesn't adhere to our standards he certainly seems very interested in our standards and he certainly seems very interested in testing those standards Mm -hmm. so at the same time why does he feel like he's outside of that you know if if q's purpose is to say in encounter at farpoint boy you guys have so much to learn you you haven't you got to figure out this mystery because there's a living thing at stake here Flashword of this episode. Look, you have so much to learn. There's a living thing at stake here. And by the way, we're going to introduce you to, introduce you to the Borg as well. <laughs> and we're going to do that a few years ahead of time. Right. So you have time to prepare. That does imply some kind of responsibility for what happens to the human race. So maybe he would grudgingly ad- not admit it, but um, – it, it seems like he's certainly putting himself in a position to have some level of responsibility.
1: So do you think you would have let Deep Space Nine bust up in the wormhole?
0: That's a good question. I mean, probably not. But who knows? Who knows? And we also don't Part of the problem with this is how he's driven by Vash. Because it's hard to separate that since he's so focused on her mm-hmm. with what we got out of Q in Next Gen, which was a Q who was just driven by the intellectual pursuit of how far can I push Picard to get something out of him, to to get to get him to grow beyond who he is now. That's not what he's after with Vosh. So, that's a really tough question. It's a different Q. <laughs>
2: Now, in the tradition of our Klingon friends, it is time to see what we can learn as followers of Q-Lash.
1: What is this? Episode 6 of Deep Space Nine? Mm-hmm. Episode 5 or Episode 6? Episode 6, episode six. Yep. of Deep Space Nine. Less. Is the name of the episode. Time for us to talk about the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode and discuss between ourselves with, you know, other people listening in, uh, whether the episode stands the test of time, whether it holds up, whether it's one that you would sit down and watch again willingly. <laughs> Let's start with that, John. Uh, does, uh, does Q-Less hold up as far as you're concerned?
0: Well here's my problem with the episode. (laughs) So maybe that gives you some indication. So that's a no, right? (laughs) Uh, Deep space nine is up and running pretty well out of the gate. As we've seen from the first five episodes, Mm -hmm. this is a terrific cast. I mean, just full of talent and, and they are writing great character moments and they are presenting a wonderful contrast to that pristine environment of life aboard the USS enterprise. By having Vash and Q come in at least this early, it really steals focus. So if I've been watching next gen all along, then I don't particularly need more Q or Vash unless it's going to be really unique and really shows me something I would not have possibly gotten otherwise. If I haven't been watching TNG all along, then I stop and ask, why do I care about these two? As opposed to last week with Captive Pursuit, we had a new character and I immediately cared about Tosk because they set up that relationship between Tosk and O'Brien right away. And in this, it just feels like there's this whole other thing happening outside of the life of the people on DS9. And I feel like there are a lot of plot holes here and a lot of loose threads that just seem to be swept away uh, under the carpet because, hey, look, it's Vash and Q. We should all just be happy that we have Vash and Q. It, it's not enough. And, and because of that, it doesn't hold up. And there's another thing here that's important that I think doesn't totally work. Um, but, but I don't think it's the worst thing about it. And that is go back to our discussion in the previous segment. This thread of seduction going through the episode, the Doctor and the Bajoran and the Doctor and Vash and Vash and Quark and Q and Vash. It's like an 18th century sex farce got dropped into Star Trek. Now, I'm not offended by that. I'm certainly I'm not offended by Star Trek taking on new and interesting approaches to sexuality. I mean, we, we had seven years worth of uh, uh, Riker and Dana Troy and us saying, oh, well, it looks like they're just sort of friends with benefits and, and everything is cool. And, and that says something about personal lives in the 24th century. But in this, um, I'm not against the idea of exploring it. It just seems like the writers were sitting around thinking, "Okay, we've got Vash and and we've got Q and we've got the manta ray energy creature. Uh, What else could we possibly throw in here? Uh, Has anybody read Fanny Hill? Uh, Has anybody is anybody familiar with uh, with, you know, hundreds of years old uh, sex farces and comedies? Just throw that in there.
1: It's so interesting. You say that, though. You say that about the sex virus. It almost feels to me like a script written by Mad Lib.
0: <laughs> really? Really? Just, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot thrown at the wall. And and here's the other thing. So, like The Naked Now, Star Trek is doing its greatest hits way too soon. Mm. So, there's so much common DNA here. I already mentioned it. Encounter at Farpoint. See also devil in the dark, which is fine, but it's too soon and it's too on the nose. I mean, for them to discover a creature that's in a crystal. Okay. I sure that's kind of a tried and true classic Trek thing and it's causing a problem. They need to solve that problem. But then when you throw in Q, it just feels like, oh, we're, we're doing encounter at Farpoint again.
1: Hmm. It's so weird that you say that because I didn't see Encounter at Farpoint, nor did I see Devil in the Dark, nor did Hmm. I see, now that you're mentioning it, I'm thinking about the things that lived in the reactor core of the Romulan ship.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, But I
1: can't remember the name of that episode, but, I mean, because the thing is, the living thing happens in, like, the last 10 seconds, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but it's a baby manta ray off to search for the uh, giant space jellyfish so they can all live happily together.
1: But you've spent so much time not caring what's going on in this episode. Is the problem? Here's the thing. Yeah. Here's what I will say. Okay, there are only 19 episodes in season one of Deep Space Nine, so mm-hmm. we got through over a quarter of season one's episode without spotting a bad one.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: there she blows. I mean, it <laughs> right. is. It is here. It is now. It is yeah. Q less. Um, I will tell you the first time I watched it, and I can't remember if I watched this one three or four times for this viewing. The first time I watched it, though, you know, sometimes you'll be watching TV and you'll doze off Mm -hmm. and you think you've been asleep for like ever. Uh And it turns out you were only asleep for maybe a few seconds. So the first time I watched this episode, I dozed and I woke up in time to see the thing turn into a stingray and fly through the wormhole. Right. And I assume that I had missed the part where we found out that it was an embryo, Mm -hmm. as Cisco says in the voiceover afterwards. And I was looking forward on my second viewing to seeing what I had missed. And it turns out I really only closed my eyes. I, I didn't even fall asleep for more than like two seconds. Like I saw them beam the thing off the ship. I missed them walking towards the window, but I saw them looking out the window and seeing the thing <laughs> change to a stingray. Okay. That was terrible. I mean, just the fact that that's, that that's our, that, that. that <sighs> That that we got that that we did not know the whole time. We didn't have an indication of what was happening the whole time. We 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 know mm-hmm. it probably has something to do with Vosh. We didn't know it was a living thing. It could have been a piece of alien technology. Yeah. Whatever, <sighs> whatever. I mean, there's just so much. Honestly, I I I. I People said, you know, be nice to Deep Space Nine. Not today. <laughs> take, take a back seat, pause it now, whatever you want to do. The yawning scene with Q and Julian is terrible. The aging and disease scene with Vosh is terrible, not only because he's treating her terribly, but it's just horribly acted. I mean, when she does the whole like, you know, uh, problems that she's having thing, it's the same mm-hmm. thing like when the space fleas bit that couple. They've been like, you know, they've been bitten by something. They're changing colors, they're screaming in agony. And then it stops, so they assume they're fine. We just saw Vash as a 90-year-old woman collapsing under the weight of her bag, diseased, no hair. But then it stops, and everybody's like, oh, so you're good? (laughs) Okay, that's bad. Uh, The final Mm -hmm. scene with Julian and Dax is terrible. Um, The the scene where Q keeps blinking the packed bag back onto Vash's shoulder after she's unpacked it, that is funny. I like that. Uh, The boxing scene is weird um i really i really wanted to like this episode because i love john delancey i love the q character q usually brings something really interesting as far as the moral conundrum or whatever um they just didn't it no no it it just didn't work which which is not to say that there aren't messages yeah curious sir what did you find
0: there well i mean look i I feel like they tried to work in some messages that they they didn't really land on. Um, you have that scene between Odo and Quark, and, and Odo is admonishing Quark about accumulating goods, but but then that ends with just like, uh, how about that latinum-plated bucket to sleep in? Oh, well, I, I guess I do have my price, <laughs> you know? So, um, th- there is kind of a generic lesson here about greed, but like I said, it, it just doesn't really go anywhere. Our, our main characters are above that, And we're not worried about them. So the greed is strictly a Vash and Quark thing. But even then, uh, uh, they're just they're just doing what they do. And it doesn't really affect anyone other than the dumb but rich people who are there to buy the artifacts. Mm -hmm. Does a Deep Space Nine crew learn anything? No, they just needed to solve a puzzle. And even then there wasn't anything malicious in picking up the alien life form. This was a mistake driven by curiosity and greed. Sure. But it wasn't because of greed that, that all of this was about to happen. It was just a thing. And she had a lot of things and she made a mistake. So what it, it wasn't the aha moment that we had in devil in the dark or encounter at far point, um, So I felt like the messages just kind of fell flat, and and I I, I hate that that that's the problem with this episode. Uh, What about you? Did you find more in it than I did?
1: Well, I mean, the one thing I found, I think um, the obvious solution isn't necessarily the correct solution. Obviously, the problems on Deep Space Nine are being caused by Q, except, of course, they're not. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's something that maybe somebody could have learned. Don't, I mean, you know, don't just assume that the thing you assume is actually the correct thing. I will say, and this, this happens for maybe 30 seconds, but it was the most, it was the most <laughs> touching, mm-hmm. not touching like, ah, mm-hmm. but touching like, wow, okay, that got me. Um, I I loved Q interrupting the proceedings to tell everybody that they're about to die mm-hmm. and then everybody going back to what they're doing. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. For humor, it's funny in the same way that the people in the meaning of life trying to decide whether or not to take their cars with them to the afterlife,
0: <laughs> yes. which is, which yeah. is a
1: fantastic thing. Like death is leading them out. Spoiler alert. The movie, the movie's like 40 years old or yeah. almost 40 years yeah. old. Death's leading them out and they're on their way out of the place where they just ate the bad food. Yeah. And, and, and one of them's like, Oh, should we take our cars? And so they get in their cars and they drive them up to heaven. Okay. That's very funny. Uh, for less funny. Uh, this is us. Uh, yeah. Today. Inequality is growing, climate is changing, pollution's piling up. There's a fantastic cartoon going around right now that I think is from the New Yorker, and it has people sitting in ratty clothes around a fire, apparently after the fall of civilization, and one of the people at the fire says, But for one brief shining moment, we created value for shareholders. <laughs> That to me felt like that moment. He was like, hey, listen, we're hurtling towards a wormhole and you're all going to die, but yeah, go back to doing your stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And everybody. And they do. And they do. Oh,
1: good. Thank you. Right. Quark's like, hey, free drinks for anybody who sticks around Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, trying to get away from certain death. And uh, yeah, so everybody's just like, yeah, drink up and keep buying.
0: Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Check out the Roddenberry Podcast Network, podcast.roddenberry.com. There you will find Mission Log, Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, and so much more. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM, that's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com.
1: Next week... DAX.
2: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. In retrospect, the Q Lesh play on words did not work so well. It would have been better to pretend to be a facer for a whole segment. QQ Q Q Q Q Q Q transmission. Podcast.com.
0: The Roddenberry Podcast Network.